Hi, welcome to Living Water Bible Fellowship's audio sermons. It's our prayer and hope that you'll be encouraged and uplifted by the preaching of God's Word. Stick around after the message to hear more about how to contact us. I am going to be uh, preaching from Ephesians uh, chapter 2. So if you want to open your Bibles to the book of Ephesians chapter 2, we are going to be looking at that today. And as you're turning there, um, maybe as a, even if you're a Christian, maybe you've wondered, what does it mean to be a Christian? Like, what, is it, what does that actually mean? Um, does it mean that we follow a bunch of rules to make God happy? I really hope that's not what you think it means to be a Christian, but maybe that is what you think it means to be a Christian. Does it mean that we do things like go to church, uh, read our Bible, and pray? Those are definitely things that a Christian does, but that's not necessarily what it means uh, to be a Christian. Nothing that you do makes you a Christian. Um, being a Christian is something that God has done. A Christian is somebody who has been redeemed, like we've talked about with communion, celebrating communion in the songs that we sing. A Christian is somebody who's been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. A Christian is someone who has been transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. A Christian is someone who has been made spiritually alive in Christ. And a Christian is someone who looks forward to the resurrection of the body and dwelling with the Lord forever. Uh, as we see in the end of the book of Revelation, in the new heavens, new earth, where all things are redeemed, restored, God himself is our temple. So let's read uh, Ephesians 2, starting at verse 1. Uh, my, at the top of this says, by grace through faith in my Bible. Maybe yours says something different. Um, but let's read there. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, that's very important but right there. <laughs> but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, even when we were dead, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised up with him, and seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So before we get into the, the meat of this text right here, I just want to point out two key themes that will kind of help set the context where, you know, we're starting in the middle of the book. We, uh, Greg actually did preach on the beginning of Ephesians a couple months ago. So if you remember that, that'll be helpful here. But really the two key themes that I want to talk about is the supremacy of Christ and um, the unity of Christians. So Jesus is more than just a man or a good teacher. He was God himself. He is God himself. He came in the flesh. He is the creator and sustainer of all things, who for a time emptied himself and took on the form of a servant, dying on a cross for the sins of the world. 
but with his resurrection, with his ascension to the right hand of the Father, Jesus is victorious over the powers of darkness. If we just go back in the book of Ephesians to chapter 1, verse 20, uh, it says, The great power God worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head, so as over all things, over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all and all. Um, so that's, that's a weighty verse, but God's plan of redemption is accomplished in Jesus Christ. His sacrificial death and resurrection are the way that wrongs are set right, that sins are forgiven, that God's mission is accomplished. Uh, this implies to us individually as Christians, which is what we'll be really focusing on today. But it also applies to the church. Uh, Ephesians talks about the church as the body of Christ. And whenever in Ephesians we're talking about the church, it's talking about the universal church all throughout the earth, not just an individual body, but the universal church. And it also, even as it talks about all things, even the whole of creation, we see God remakes, renews his creation, however you want to say that, um, in the book of Revelations. Uh, just to drive this in a little bit further, look at verse 9 of chapter 1 making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, all things, things in heaven and things on earth. So Jesus is the way that God is working out his plan of redemption, reconciliation, and new creation. So that's our first theme, the, the supremacy of Jesus. He is over all things. He is the only way to... Um, be redeemed to be with God. He is the way, the truth, and the life, and he is the King of kings and Lord of lords. And then the second key theme, um, as we're setting the context for this verse, is the unity of Christians, so as individual Christians in Jesus. We've been individually reconciled to God through Jesus Christ's atoning sacrifice on the cross, which we've talked a lot about already today. Um, so any lines of hostility, um, Paul talks about lines of hostility between the Gentiles and the Jews, um, those have been torn down, and we are one in Christ. Uh, there is no identifier, um, whatever you can think of, any political, cultural, different things that comes before being in Christ. Uh, we, those things are still true, but our main identity has to be in Jesus Christ. As Colossians 3.11 puts it, um, you don't have to turn there, but it's a short verse. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. So before anything else, we are in Christ Jesus. And as I already said, Ephesians uses the metaphor of the head and the body. Um, so Christ Jesus is the head, and we are the body. And there is no relationship that's closer than the head to the body. Like the body cannot function, or if you think about it literally, cannot function without the head, without Jesus. And individual members, like say this finger right here, it is completely useless, lopped off from the body. It's just laying there on the ground. But when it's connected to the body is when it's in its right place, when it's useful. So we are united in Christ, and this is a spiritual reality um, that nothing can change. So that's, that's kind of just a, with the supremacy of Christ and the, the unity of Christians in Jesus. Those are two key things to remember as we look at this verse here. 
Um, so let's look at Ephesians 2.1, just that short verse. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins. You were dead in the trespasses and sins, depending on your translation. So here we see, um, this is talking to the Ephesian believers, but it's true of all, all people. All people are spiritually dead apart from the work of God. Uh, Romans 3.23 tells us that all have sinned, all have fallen short of the glory of God. Being spiritually dead is the natural state of humanity after the fall. Not before the fall, but after the fall of Adam and Eve when they sinned. And that's when death entered the world. Um, so we probably all understand what maybe what physical death is, you know, the body dying, but what does it mean to be spiritually dead? Because you can be physically alive, but spiritually dead. Um, there's a number of ways to talk about it, but to be spiritually dead is to be separated from God, to be lifeless to him. It means that you live as if God does not exist. Um, it also means that when we're spiritually dead, when we're dead in our sins and trespasses, um, we are rightfully under God's judgment um, because of our sins and trespasses. Those, those, those words, some people think that they're kind of the same, just two words for the same thing. I think you can make a distinction between the two. Um, sin, kind of in the Old Testament, when we see sin, it means falling short of the mark, like an arrow is shot and it misses its target or it falls short. Um, so sin is anything that misses the mark, any wrongdoing or misdeed that we consciously or unconsciously um, fall short of God's holy perfection. And then a trespass, we think about um, if you're trespassing on somebody's land or something like that, it's usually a deliberate um, action. So it's deliberately going against God. It is a rebellion against God's rule and authority over creation. So that's what it means that we are spiritually dead. We are dead to God. We are separated from him. We cannot um, go to God ourselves. But not only this, to be spiritually dead also means that those outside of Christ, non-believers, are under the rule of Satan. So let's look at verse 2. I'll start in verse 1 just because they go together. And you were dead in the trespasses and sin in, once you, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. So naturally, um, as human beings that are fallen, we are oriented to the things of this world, to the spirit of the age, you could say. And this means instead of focusing on God, on eternal things, on uh, the things that are above of peace, love, hope, um, humbleness, patience, things like that, we are focusing on the things of this earth, things that are wicked, things that will pass away um, in God's judgment. And it talks about the spirit of the age, the prince of the power of the air, and this is just a way of talking about Satan um, in the Jewish way of reckoning things, of thinking about the spiritual world. We maybe, because of the Middle Ages and Dante's Inferno, we think of like um, Satan's domain and the uh, domain of evil beings being below us, but really they thought of it um, in Jewish times as it being like in between. There's here and then there's the air above us, and that's where spirits were. And then there would have been like God's heaven someplace else. But that's, that's what it means, the prince of the power of the air. So that's Satan's domain. Um, so that Satan is the spirit behind this age. He's deceiving people and desires to pull people away from the worship of God. We live in this interesting in-between time um, where we can still say that the Satan has sway, that he has um, influence, but we also know that Christ has come. He died on the cross, and he um, rose again on the third day, and now he's seated, seated at the right hand of God. 
Christ is victorious, but we still wait for the kingdom to come in its fullness. We're in a time of, like, it's come, but not yet, not all the way. Um, so Satan and evil, we're waiting for them to be trampled underfoot completely, even though, in a sense, they've already been defeated, but the war is not over, the, or the battle's been, the war's been won, but there's still battles going, if that makes sense. So while Christ reigns, um, God in his sovereignty and his control, he's allowing the powers of darkness to still have influence and sway over the earth until Christ returns. So Satan and the powers of darkness, they are, work at, they are at work in the sons of disobedience in our passage, the children of disobedience. All who are outside of Christ, anybody who is not a Christian, are slaves to sin and darkness. So all of humanity, Jew or Gentile, is a child of wrath. It doesn't matter um, what family you're born into. We all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's nobody who does not deserve death. There's nobody who doesn't deserve um, God's righteous and just wrath being poured out on them because of their sins, because of their trespasses, because of their position before God. There's a number of different, and I'm, if this sounds bleak, it is. I'm trying to paint, <laughs> paint a very bleak picture here where there's no hope, really. The scriptures uh, use a number of different metaphors to describe the condition of fallen humanity. Humanity is blind, they're lost, they're slaves to sin, um, and they're a part of the kingdom of darkness. These are, there's other ones too, but those are some of the key ways that the scriptures describe the state of humanity. So we're unable to save ourselves, and I, from the human perspective, there is, there's no hope. It's bleak, it's dark. Um, and this begs the question, who can be saved? Where is our hope? Is there any hope? Um, and a couple weeks ago, Jerron preached on Mark 10. Uh, in Mark 10, 27, when the rich young ruler comes to Jesus and he uh, goes away sad because he uh, doesn't want to give up his possessions. And uh, Jesus says uh, it's, uh, uh, it's more possible for a uh, camel to go through the eye of the needle. There we go. Um, than a rich man enter the kingdom of God. And his disciples are like, who can be saved? Um, and he says, with man, it is impossible. That's what Jesus says. No one can enter the kingdom of God by their own righteousness or their own power. Um, we're in a bleak, we're in a desolate place on our own. But I only read half of Mark 10, 17. Let's remember the second half of it. With man, it is impossible but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Yeah, amen. So this first part of Ephesians, we've been focusing on the fallen, dire state of humanity, and that there's no other way to put it. We are without hope. Let's read, though, Ephesians 2, 5 through 6. Uh, starting at verse 4, actually. But God... Being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made, alive, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. As I mentioned as we were reading this, that, that but God is so important. <laughs> but God, that is such a wonderful, powerful way to start a sentence, to transition from death to life. Something profound and earth-shattering 
uh, paradigm shifting has happened in Jesus's incarnation, his life, his death, his resurrection and ascension, and the coming of the Holy Spirit. There's a transition from death, destruction, and doom, that's the state of humanity, to life, rejoicing, to jubilee. And only God can bring about this radical change, this new creation. Praise God that he, he's rich in mercy, that he doesn't deal with us according to our sins. Instead, while we were still God's enemy, while we were sinners, God died for us. Jesus Christ, who's the second person of the triune God, eternal God, came to dwell among humanity and took our punishment on the cross. He bore our sin, our shame, took the punishment that we deserved as transgressors, as we talked about earlier. We've sinned, transgressed against God, and rebels um, against God. Not only that, he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness, from the claws of death and Hades, and brought us into the kingdom of God. Uh, let's turn in our Bibles uh, back a couple books to Romans 5, Romans 5, to get a better idea of what it means to be made alive in Christ. So up to this point um, in Romans, uh, Paul's been running through a lot of the same stuff that we've just been talking about. Um, there's no one who can be saved themselves, um, the fallen state of humanity, and every person's need for a Savior. We're going to start, though, at chapter 5, verse 12, and go to verse 15. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, so death spread to all men, because all sinned. For indeed, sin was indeed in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who were, whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one to come. So um, we talk about, a little bit about the, re, we see a re, re, reiteration <laughs> of what we've been talking about. Outside of Christ, humanity is in Adam. Um, this means that we all live under the reign of sin and death. Adam, who's the first human, um, the father of us all, in a sense, um, humanly, represents fallen humanity. Um, as Jesus is the head of the church, Adam is the head of fallen humanity. Um, but as verse 14 says, Adam, if we look back at there, says, Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam. In the end of that, who was a type of the one to come. It says Adam was a type of Jesus. Uh, when the scriptures say the word type, um, this means that there's a form or a pattern that is fulfilled by Jesus in the New Testament. So Adam represents all of humanity just as Jesus represents the new humanity. And his one action, one action of Adam sinning, had consequences for all of humanity, for all of creation really, the fallen world that we live in. So Adam is the prototype, um, and that means like the, you've probably heard about that like in business or different things like that, he's the first one. He sets a pattern or a form that Jesus fulfills in a surprising way. Uh, let's jump down to verse 18 of chapter 5 and see how Jesus is the anti-type or the fulfillment of Adam. So uh, verse 18 of chapter 5. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, us. 
So by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous, us also, those who are in Christ, those who follow him. Now the law came to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through the righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Yeah, praise God. So Adam's one deed led to death for all. Then we see Christ's one act of righteous obedience, going to the cross to die for the sins of the world, has made it possible for anyone who calls on the name of the Lord, anyone to be saved. While we were spiritually dead, sin reigned over us. Darkness reigned over us. But now that we've been made righteous, that we've been made clean, that the flow of Jesus' blood, that metaphorically means that Jesus' spilt blood pays for our sins. We've been, righteous by, we've been made righteous by Jesus' sacrifice. Sin no longer reigns over us. Instead, the grace of God reigns through righteousness. So instead of judgment and death, we now have eternal life. Um, that's greatest rag to riches story that you could think of. A life that starts now and that will continue. So eternal life starts now when we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Um, we, have, we are spiritually made alive, but then that continues into the future when we will share in Jesus' physical resurrection in the age to come. Praise God for the love that he has poured out on us. Praise God that he does not deal with us according to our sins and trespasses, but that he sees the perfect righteousness of Jesus instead. Yeah. Let's go back to Ephesians and continue in our text as we continue to learn what it means to be made alive in Christ. Ephesians 2. Um, and I want to point out a, a very important thing here that Paul repeats twice. Um, verse 5, he says that we've, um, that's by grace that we've been saved. And he really kind of interrupts himself here. If you look at the, the sentence, he has this idea going, and he just inserts in there, by grace you have been saved, um, because this is so important. Paul is interrupting himself um, to say that we've been saved by grace, not by our own goodness, not by our own works. Salvation is a gift from God. It's a gift that we don't deserve, um, but in his loving mercy, we do not get the punishment that we do deserve. By his loving grace, we are given salvation and new life that we definitely did not deserve. It is a gift that only must be received. There is nothing we can do to earn it, to warn it. Um, this, this radical grace, this grace of God is something that makes Christianity completely unique among all the religions, the philosophies, all the worldviews out there. We don't make ourselves right before God. We don't work to get right with God. God himself has done that work. We need to only accept it as a free gift. Free gift. Um, this is the beauty of the gospel, that we are saved by grace. So in verse 6, um, I'm just going to keep continue reading here. We've been saved by grace and raised up with him and seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So we are alive in Jesus Christ. We've been made alive. And like Jesus, death and judgment are behind us. They are in the past. Our physical bodies, we're all going to die, right? But our spirit goes to be with the Lord, and one day we will be physically raised with redeemed bodies at the second coming. 
we live in the reality right now of Jesus' resurrection. So at this moment, we share spiritually in the resurrection of Jesus because we have been made positionally holy. Uh, and that's it's a phrase that maybe not, may, may not make sense to you, but just means that um, we may continue to sin, but in God's sight, he sees Jesus in his sacrifice, not our sin. He sees his righteousness instead of our shortcomings. Um, because we have been made positionally holy before God, we should focus our mind on the things that are above where we are seated with Christ Jesus. By the power of the Holy Spirit, not our own power, we can live in this new reality and put on the new self like a, like a piece of clothing. Uh, Colossians 3, 12 through 14 calls us to do just that. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Um, so this list here, these are some of the things that should characterize those who have been made alive in Jesus Christ. Those who are seated with him spiritually in the heavenly places. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk. Um, those characterize those who are, those things characterize those who are slaves to sin, those who are spiritually dead. Uh, we may do those things, but we are called to put on um, the new self. We are called to put those things away and live in the reality that we are a new creation in Christ today. We'll, of course, continue to descend and fall short until Christ returns, but we are no longer slaves to sin. We don't have to live in that reality. That doesn't have to be where we are living anymore. Let's look at verse 7 as we continue on. We've been raised up with Christ um, in the heavenly places with Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. So as I've mentioned before, right now we are spiritually raised with Christ, but a time is coming uh, when we will share in the physical resurrection of Jesus. Our bodies will be perfected. We will dwell in a new heavens and a new earth where there will be no more tears, no more sorrow. God will be our light, and we will be his people. Um, and uh, this verse is wonderful. It says, even into eternity, when God's reign has come fully, you know, when we pray the Lord's Prayer, we say, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Um, in the future, that'll be a reality. God's will will be done perfectly on the earth and on heaven. We will, during this time, during God's reign in the future, we will still be learning about and celebrating the grace of God, even into eternity. We will never get to the bottom of the riches of God's grace. Um, Romans 11, you don't have to turn here, but I just love, this is Paul kind of responding in worship to this, to a similar thought. Oh, the depths of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How searchable, unsearchable, are his judgments, and how inscrutable his ways. From who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor, or who has given him a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. So as we, uh, as we think about the life to come, let us never think that life in eternity will be boring or one-dimensional. 
um, we only have the slightest idea of what it'll be like to dwell with God in glory and his new creation where things are made new. And uh, so, yeah, let's look forward with hope and uh, realize that things are going to be greater than you could possibly imagine. Moving forward to verse 8, um, Paul, once again, and kind of not as much of an interruption, but he reminds us again, for by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. A salvation, as we've already said, salvation is a gift from God. No one can boast that they were so great that God saved them. It's the opposite. On the contrary, um, God is so great that he saved a sinner like me. It makes me think of just the first line of Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. So we can only really boast in Jesus Christ and what he has accomplished, not our own works, not our accomplishments, which do nothing to save us. And verse 10, the last verse in this chapter, or in this section that we're reading, uh, shows us that we do good works as a response to the free grace of God. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And just the first part of that, we are God's workmanship. Um, the, the Greek word there word for workmanship is poema, which is where we get our word poem. So we are, you could think of it as we are God's poem, we are God's craft, the, his masterpiece in a sense there. Um, and this verse reminds me of 2 Corinthians 5, 17, uh, one of my favorite verses in all the scripture. Therefore, if any was in, is in Christ, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation is here. They are a new creation. The old has gone, the new is here. So being the workmanship of God created in Christ Jesus, our transformation, it is so radical that it can only really be called a new creation. You think about the act of creation um, in the beginning of Genesis, and we are a new creation. We've been redeemed. We've been transformed um, for a purpose, as we learn here. God has called his people to live sacrificial lives like Jesus did. We're called to be ambassadors for Christ in our daily lives, loving God with our whole being, loving our neighbor like ourselves, the greatest commandment. He has made us to be a kingdom of priests that will share the gospel with the nations. We are created in Christ for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This also reminds me of 1 Peter 2.9 which is um, talking about the church, but it echoes um, language that was used of Israel in the Old Testament. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. And this right here, this is important. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. We've been prepared for good works that you may proclaim so that's good works from Ephesians, but here in Peter is saying that we've been made all these things that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his light. We've made to proclaim this excellency to all who will listen. And I think of this as an act of worship, like when we're singing on Sunday mornings, we are proclaiming his excellency. But when we are sharing the gospel, we are proclaiming the excellency of God, his great mercy, his grace the riches of his love, we are proclaiming how excellent God is and what he's done. 
So as Christians, um, let's, let's remember that we are a new creation in Christ, that we are indwelt by the very Spirit of God, God himself, who transfor- is transforming us into the image of Christ. We may sin, we may fall short, um, but we shouldn't dwell on those things. We should confess our sins to God and other believers, not wallow in self-pity. We've been made new by the blood of the Lamb. So let's put on our new self. Let's walk in humility, patience, meekness, courage, and love. Um, Also, we have to remember, we did not earn our salvation. It is a free gift from God. No one can boast. We are saved by grace through faith, not by our works. Um, I I think maybe a lot of us may believe that, and we may consent to it intellectually, but we may still be living in such a way that we're trying to live, uh, win God's favor uh, by doing good deeds or striving to please God. And there's nothing wrong with trying to please God, but we have to remember that we are saved by the work of God alone, not by anything that we can do. Um, So let's stop striving in that area. Let's rest in the truth of the gospel. We are saved to do good works, not saved by good works. Uh, Praise God that my salvation is not based on me. It's based solely on Jesus' work, not my own. Um, And just the last thing today, if you are here and you are not a believer, I want to address you. I want to say that um, there's nothing that you can do to make yourself right with God. You can't work hard enough. Um, All people are spiritually dead, everybody, and they're unable to save themselves. Our position of ourselves is bleak. But God himself, the creator of the universe, has made a way for you to be saved. Saved from wrath, judgment, death, and destruction. Jesus died on a cross for the sins of the world and then rose from the grave three days later. He is victorious over the powers of darkness and one day will make every wrong right. He is the only way to be saved. So you must confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. As I've said many times this morning, but it's worth repeating. This salvation is a free gift from God. And God desires that all people would be saved. No matter what you've done, Jesus can save you from sin, from death. You can't out-sin the grace of God. It is deeper and wider (laughs) than any ocean. I think the Mariana Trench or whatever that is. Think of just the deepest, farthest thing. God's grace is deeper. It's wider than the space between the galaxies, light years. God's grace is sufficient. So turn to God. Trust in Jesus for your salvation. Let's stand and let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you for your grace in our lives, Lord God. We thank you that we are a new creation in you, Christ Jesus. That not by our own works, we can't boast about what we've done, but we can boast in you, Lord Jesus. We can boast in your grace, in your faithfulness, and not our own, Lord God. Please help us to trust in you and your power, Lord God. Um, Lord, as we go about our daily lives, as we think about... um, the place where we've been, where we've been in complete darkness, where we were before you, Lord God, and where we are now, new life in Christ. Let us think about the, the huge, wonderful thing that that is, and let us be compelled to share that with other people, Lord God.
let us not be content to um, let that neighbor that we see all the time or with that um, not hear the gospel, Lord God. You've prepared us um, good works to do in advance, good works that we're not saved by, but good works that we do in response as worship to what God has already done, Lord God. So all the things that we can um, think of, there's big things and small things, Lord God, but may we do them to the praise of your glory, Lord God. May we do them for your sake, Lord God, and the sake of others, Lord. Um, As a church, Lord, uh, would you empower us, would you equip us to do what you've called us to do? We know that um, when we trust in you, Lord God, that you will lead us in the right direction, Lord, even if that's in really hard and difficult times. Lord, uh, just thinking about all the people here and all the people in this town and throughout the valley, Lord God, we lift up other churches, Lord God, we lift up Um, other churches that they may know that they are saved by your grace alone, Lord God. We think of the Mormons um, who do not believe that, Lord God. Um, Would you turn people away from Mormonism and towards you, Lord God? There's a lot of fallen um, people that are broken that are being led astray, Lord God. And uh, we, we want them to come to see and know you, the true God, the only way to salvation, Lord God. Help us to be humble in our actions. Help us to be patient in the way that we love other people. Help us to be bold and courageous in the way that we live and speak, Lord God, for you. Um, Lord, I'm just, let's take some time, church. Let's just, I just want to um, spend some time thinking of people that we could pray for and that would know the grace of God before we close. So in your mind, in your heart, let's pray for somebody that you know needs to know the grace of God. Lord God, the people that came to mind right now, um, give us opportunities to speak to them, to love them, Lord God, to share the truth with them, Lord God. Would you be moving in their hearts? We pray that your will would be done in their lives, Lord God. Um, All praise to you, Lord God. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, God's people said, amen. Thank you so much for listening. The gospel according to the Bible is that Jesus Christ, who was and is the eternal God, took on human flesh, was born of a virgin, died for our sins on the cross, and rose from the dead three days later. He then ascended to the Father's right hand, where he sits making intercession for his people, and right now he is establishing the kingdom of God on earth. You can enter into a saving relationship with God by repenting of your sins and placing your full trust in Jesus' life his death and resurrection on your behalf. In Christ, you will find forgiveness, acceptance, freedom, peace, hope, and a future. If you would like more information about Christianity or Living Water Bible Fellowship, visit our website at livingwateralamosa.org. God bless.